I'm Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for allowing us to get together today and uh, just to talk um, woman to woman. Um, I just got done talking with the teenage girls and gosh, I just, I love teenage girls and I love getting to talk about just what they can do to help make sure that they don't end up where a lot of us found ourselves in, in campus and first finding our relationship with God, but I'm so very grateful for every woman that's here, um, whether, she, you know, whether it's a, a college student that's young and it's their first time or it's an old person like me who's been around forever, God, I know that you have something that you want every single one of us to take away from this weekend and to grow and change and become more faithful women for you, God. Um, I just pray that you uh, will allow me to be clear <laughs> and make sense, but also that we'll just um, that we'll just really have open hearts to listen to what your word has to say. Um, thank you for everything done in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I do want to preface that I got a tooth pulled, and um, I'm having like major pain issues, and I got like an exposed bone and. It's been a nightmare. This is my first day not on narcotics, so my stomach is a little rumbly too. Um, but uh, so if you see me like slurping or drinking cold water or whatever, I'm okay. I'm not having any. But yeah, um, it does hurt a little bit to talk. So, um, so um, like I said, I just got done talking. Um, same. Thank you. Um, all that money I had in there was really scared. <laughs> Talking with teenage girls and, and um, about this about this subject of faithfulness and looking at Sarah's life and man, it was so good. <laughs> I'm a little emotional still, but um, it is really cool because now um, I'm talking to you all. Um, the maturity level so much different. We're in different places in our lives right now, and um, it was funny because I had to give the background story of Sarah. And, you know, a lot with her infertility for all those years. With teenagers, I had to physically describe even how, like, babies were made. And the you know, and I'm, like, sitting there, I'm, like, the longing for a baby, which none of you have right now, and none of you should probably be concerned about. You're, like, thank God, like, that's not an issue. But I do know that I am speaking to a very different group today um, that a lot of you do identify with those deep desires of the family and deep desires for children. And some of you guys, even if you're younger college kids, you are getting more to that point in your life where I think Sarah's story probably does resonate with you a lot more. That longing to start a family and that longing to have what God promises. And so, you know, we talked today, like I said, intro incredibly different, not having to go through the anatomy and the, you know, and describing all that. But I would probably venture to say that probably three-fourths of you, if not all of you, have probably someone in your life that you're close to that has struggled with infertility. Would you guys say that's fair? Raise, raise a hand. Raise. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, like, I think trying to describe that almost to, like, a 15, 16-year-old may, may be a little more difficult, but I, I think probably all of us in here can look at the story of Sarah and probably see it very differently. Having someone that you've seen, um, for me personally, I have a few people that are very close to me in my life that have struggled with this, and one of them is my sister. And I've watched, and I've cried, and I've prayed, and I've begged God, and I've watched her go through this. And um, so when I, when I read the story of Sarah, I see it very, very differently, seeing it from the eyes, from a longing and a desire 
That being said though, um, one of the things I had them do was maybe right now that's not like a situation or a place that you're in right now. Honestly, for me, that's, that's not my situation. I am one of those people that's like, I wanna have a baby, baby comes. Like I want, you know, like, so those things. But to be honest with you, I identify with Sarah's story in this being promised by God that you're gonna be a mother of a great nation and you're gonna have a baby and waiting and waiting and it being the desire of your heart. And like I said, one of the things we talked about them is I would like for all of you, before we even get started, to think about what is that thing for me? What is that thing, when I think about faithfulness, what is that thing that, that, that's, that maybe tempts and rocks my faith? What is that longing deep down in my heart that I'm like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And I, and I do think for all of us, it's probably something different. But it is really good for us, I think, to have in mind when we look at these things and when we ask ourselves these questions to put that thing in perspective. If God makes a promise and it's not, it, it, how do I feel about this? What if this doesn't get answered the way I want it to? And to just to kind of really quickly, um, I was uh, telling them that good, I really would encourage you guys, and I, <laughs> I laugh sometimes because when I'll like hear like a preacher or someone who's speaking, like you should really go back and read the whole story. I'm like, yeah, that'll I know it well enough. But I really do encourage you all to go back and read the story of Sarah because it is kind of long and it's lengthy, but um, so we can't get through it all, and I can only give a really short, probably ugly synopsis of it. But I do think it'd be really good, like in in our own quiet time and stuff to, or your, your time alone or whatever to go through and to read it and to really look at it with fresh eyes and maybe look at her story and read it through maybe like what, maybe mine's, maybe that's not this, but if this, my thing, my longing, my desire, that thing that maybe really does rock my faith, if it's that, how can I see things, you know, maybe, maybe and learn from Sarah's story in that. And one of the cool things about Sarah is that she can be an encouragement to us because she was such a flawed woman. And many times I allow Satan to convince me that I can't be like a truly faithful, noble woman of God because I'm so far from perfect. Man, I struggle with perfectionism so much. And I know, I know enough of you personally. I know enough about the, the female mind and psyche to know that perfectionism is one of those things that we deeply, deeply struggle with. And that Satan really does use that tool of saying, you, you won't ever be good enough for this. And so that's the very first thing I want to address is, man, you go back and you read Sarah's story. There's time. I read this phenomenal article about her, and it went back through like a lot, and I'm actually going to quote it a couple of times because just the way they phrased things was perfect. But you go back and you read it, and there's times when she's straight up cringeworthy. Like some of the things she does, you're like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? That is not godly. That is not admirable. Who do you think you are? You know, and then, again, put myself in that situation, and I'm like, yeah, probably would have done worse. Probably would have done a lot worse, to be honest with you. And so, you know, I look at this, and I look at the story of Sarah, you know, and her, her name originally, Sarah, it means my princess. She's beautiful. It says on account after account after account how beautiful she is. And everywhere this woman goes, high, affluent men want her. I, I was, like I said, did some research. Like at 65 years old, at 65, she was still going places. And her husband's like, say you're my sister because when we go there, they going to want you. And I'm like, goals. <laughs> Goal to be 65 years old and walk into a room. And, you know, my husband would be like, no, everybody here is going to want you, so just chill, okay? <laughs> and I'm hoping that looking like I'm 15 at almost 40 is going to get me there. But, 
you know, it's one of those things where she grew up and, um, you know, in the beginning was a part of, you know, just lived in a community, lived at home, they were in one place. And at, and at one point in time after being married, God comes to her husband and is like, get up, pack up, move, go. And um, one of the, like I said, one of the things I was reading and researching is like it's really easy to think of her as a nomad her whole life, but that's not how things started off for her. She was a princess. She was, you know, you know, names mean something, names mean things and, and whatever, especially in the Old Testament, is that she, that this wasn't like the life she probably would have chosen for herself to go out and let's just wander, the, you know, let's go here and there. And, you know, my husband says pack up and move. Like, you know, and let's just pack up and uh, where are we going? I don't know. Okay, cool. Like, no, I want an ETA. I want the directions printed out. I want to know exactly what's going on. You know, the control freak in me would have been like, no, that's not happening. But yet she still exhibited, you know, a, a faithful, a faithful spirit and being a faithful woman to go and follow these things. And then on top of it, in a time, in a, in a place where, man, children, legacy meant everything. Even here and now, we understand and grasp that desire for family and to have something and to make something better and, and, to, and to pass things on. But then back then, it was all that mattered. It was like it. It was like the height of height. Who's the mom and who has more baby? I mean, women were like having competitions with each other, like who can pop out the most kids and the, you know, whatever. And it was just one of those things where it wasn't just like, oh, this is what I want, this is what I would like. But God comes to her husband and says, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation and you're going to have a baby. And then just year after year after year after year, it's no, 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 no. The answer is just, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening. And, you know, it just, she continues to go on and go on. And then at 90 years old, she finally hears with her own words, which I didn't even realize until I went back through and, and read it a little more closely, that all that time she'd been trusting in a promise that her husband had been given that she hadn't even heard with her own ears. At 90 years old, she hears an angel be like, I'll come here back here next year and I'll see you with your baby. And she's like, Pfft. and he's like, why are you laughing? She's like, I wasn't laughing. I'm, I wasn't laughing. But she, you know, and she lies. But you know, at 90 years old, like, I'm like, okay, I look at it, I'm like, okay, like, she was told she was going to have a baby, but, oh, my gosh, 90 years of, of, no, of thinking something's going to happen and being told no. So when we look at today, what we're, things we're going to look at is we're going to look at three things that distract us, that distracted her from, from living a life of faith, and then we're going to look at a few things um, that can help make sure, ensure that we're living a life of faith. And the very first thing that I think I look at Sarah's life and I look at my own life, and it's doubting God is actually going to do what he says. One of the things that me and the teenagers talked a lot about is most of you guys doubt what God, God's promises because you don't have a flipping clue what they are. You're not in your word. You're not reading. You're not meditating on the things that God promises. You don't know what they are. So therefore, when you hear someone say, be faithful to God, do the right thing, you're like, uh, okay, and we doubt it. You look at Sarah's life, and she's like, is this really going to happen? Is, is this happening? This, you know, like, I don't know. But you and I both know that. We look at things, and we're like, but really, God, if I really do like confess things to people and I put my burdens on people, are they really going to love me and be there for me? If you tell me that I need to step out in faith and do this and you're going to take care of me, are you really? I know you say that you, you know, that I need to make sure that I 
that I am pure and that I, you know, and that I live to get my security in you and that you're going to bless my life. But are you really? And we all do it, right? You, you know you do. We all have... I would say that that's, that doubt that God that Satan puts into our hearts and our minds is one of his greatest tools to get that little grasp on us that gets us doing that downward spiral. He said we can look at someone's life that we we respect. We see that they do the things that God say. We say we know they're faithful to God. They come right out and say, "I know it's hard, but you do I'm this and that and blah blah blah." And their life's not perfect and everything's not great. But you look at it and you're like, "That's what I want." But still, we say, "But is it really the way that it's going to work for me?" And Satan really does get in there and he plays with our head and he says, "But you? But are you worth it?" Well, I know that works for them, but does that rule apply to you? Do you think that, you know, God's really going to follow through with what he says? And God's like, "Yeah, I'm God. I've been doing this for a real long time, and what I say does come true. You can read about it and read about it and read about it." But one thing is, sometimes we don't Sometimes we're like, I'm not in my word. I don't know what God promises. I don't know what God, and guys, I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes when I'm going through that crappiest doubt, oh man, is everything gonna uh, blah, 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 bad. I'm like, why am I not in my word? Man, I researched so many promises working on this that I was like, man, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. These verses should be things I am meditating on every single day because just reading them through this, I feel like a whole new person. I had a horrible day yesterday, probably up there with some, it was just bad. And it was funny because when I got back to my room at about three o'clock, I went to this place of self-pity and I was like, why? It's bad, everything's bad. God, you don't take care of me. I do blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to do a lesson more about faithfulness <laughs> and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then I went and I read over some of the scriptures and I went through this stuff. And it was just crazy how instantly my mind was just transformed into something different. And it was like, that's because you forgot. You let your own human side get in there and you let Satan get in there. And you doubted God's promises. I doubt, I doubt that God's going to do what he says. And then I think that leads into the second point, which is the very, where, where the thought becomes a dangerous action, is we start taking matters into our own hands. And man, I am, I'm a control freak. They, I, I think, you know, you look at things and you're like, what's an enemy of faithfulness? Oh, it's fear, it's worry, it's being, that feel, that need to be in control. And man, if you were to write three words that probably plagued me the vast majority of my life, it would be the fear, the anxiety, that lack of I need to have control, I need to know how it's going to turn out, and it needs to happen, and everything else. And um, you look in Genesis 16, 1 through 4, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, her wife, his wife took her Egyptian slave and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So I look at this, and I'm like, who? Okay, we're all not emotionally connected to this exact situation. So we all look at that, and we, we all are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why on earth 
would you think that taking a servant and giving her to your husband to be his wife and for her to get pregnant, and bam, she did, so yeah, that made things, I'm sure, so much better, and instantly she hates you. And you look at, it's so easy for me to look and be like, you dumb girl, you make bad decisions, you took matters, and you couldn't just trust, God said it himself, and you couldn't just trust it, and then I got to turn that back around and look at me and see how many times that I just couldn't just be patient and let God do things the way God said that he knew how to do them, and I was like, but no, I really think I should do it this way. I really think that it needs to be done this way. I was telling them earlier, man, I have seen too many Young girls be like, I know God says that if I'm faithful, he's going to take care of me, but I want it to happen, and I want it to happen now, so I'm going to pick him, and we're going to get married, and then one, two years later, they're like, oh my gosh, my life is horrible, this relationship is horrible, my relationship with God is horrible, why am I so stupid, why do I take matters into my own hands, and we're all like, I wish you would have listened, but we all do it. In some way, shape, or form, we all do it. I am feeling insecure. I want to feel worth, like, I do think probably most of us, the deep longing is to feel accepted and secure and like we're worth something and like we're mattering. So where do we go? We're like, I'll take matters into my own hands. And I don't know what it is with you guys. Like I was, I was telling them before, for me, it was like I had that deep-seated longing, whatever, so it was like, I'm going to get the best grades. I'm going to be a straight-A student. I'm going to be a star athlete. I'm going to... I'm gonna make. I'm gonna be perfect, so so like no one can ever be mad at me, and whatever else it was. And then at the end of the day, it was like, I absolutely despise the sport. I hope I never play it again. I'm not happy. At the end of the day, it was like, well, this I get straight A's. Cool. I feel nothing. You know, and I, I don't know what it is for you guys. I don't know. I mean, some of you guys, I think it is the relationships. You're out there with people you got no business being hooking up with. You're chasing or you're pursuing something, and God's like, I wish you would just chill out and trust that the life I have planned for you, and maybe it's not that man. Maybe it's not a man at all. Like, maybe it's not. And you know what? Sometimes God's saying, no, man, it sucks. It does. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but it's so easy for us to be like, fine then, I'll do it my way. And I, my favorite quote from Clint's lesson yesterday was he was like, none of you guys are going to be like, this is what the Bible says and this is what God says. But then God's like, oh my gosh, you know what? That's a great argument. I have thought of that before. I'll change my mind. Like, and I was like, that was my favorite part of the whole thing because that's me. I'm like, but what about this? Or you don't know this. Or maybe if it's done this way. And God's like, no, I know what's best. Shut up. You're, you are dumb. <laughs> like you are all... And, and it was funny because I asked the teenagers, I'm like, how many of you guys have the person outside that's saying, don't do it God's way, do it this way, and they're pushing and pushing and pursuing you, and they're not a hot, miserable mess? And they were all like, yeah, we don't know anybody that's not a hot, miserable mess that's trying to pull us away and do things the opposite way of God's. I'm like, but yet you keep doing it that way because you think it's going to change because being faithful and trusting that God knows better and that God's timing's better is so hard for us. So we're like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to do it my way. And then, <laughs> uh, well, actually, I'm going to read, like I said, a little synopsis from the, the article I found. It says, 
But as she considered her circumstances, Sarah concluded that a kind of surrogate parenting was the only possible solution to her predicament. If God's promise to Abraham were to ever be fulfilled, Abraham had to father children by some means. Sarah thus took it upon herself to try to engineer a fulfillment of a divine promise to Abraham. She unwittingly stepped into the role of God. And I think that's a harsh reality that we need to be really clear with ourselves. It's easy to joke around about being a control freak. I do it all the time. Like, I'm a control freak. Oh, you know, a lot of guys like, it's, it's almost sickening to me how much now being like, anxiety, oh, this, I have Christmas anxiety. Now I have Easter anxiety. Like, you know, now I'm worried about this or whatever. That it's like joke and it's funny and it's, you know, I, I literally just back there was like, Aldi's makes me anxious. Like, I can't go through Aldi's. It, it gives me anxiety. But, you know, we look at those things, and the reason why we feel that way is because we are putting ourselves in the position of God. I am saying, I, like Sarah, was like, well, this needs, it was, I like the way he says it. She decided that the fulfillment of a divine promise needed to happen through her great idea, which was a horrible idea, but I'd say probably 90% of us look back on some of the times we took things into our own hands and we, if we were really honest with ourselves, would say, that was a dumb idea. That was stupid. I don't know what I was thinking, you know? And so then that, that leads us into the third thing that distracts us from living a life of faithfulness is then we get angry when we have to suffer the consequences of our unfaithful actions. You go through and you read, and it says, he slept with her, he conceived, she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise the mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And then he says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and she fled from her. And then for pretty much the rest of their relationship, it's heartache and turmoil and anger and it's it's a horrible situation but you like her response is like but you but you and it was funny like i said talking to teenagers i'm like oh my gosh we could sit here and talk to we're blue in the face don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it do this do this don't make the same mistakes as me then you guys are going to turn right out and do it and then you're going to come back and be like screw this church thing and you guys look at how miserable i'm a mess and we're like yeah because you did everything that god and everybody else told you not to do but they're so and we are it's so easy for me to be so angry at god for not giving me what i want or for not doing something this way or i'm like now look now i have to suffer this consequence of this, of this, uh, of my really bad mistake from not listening to you, but I'm pretty pissed at you still. I'm pretty mad. I'm mad at you, and I'm mad at you. Like, you should have stopped me from doing this. I'm like, well, I tried, and you didn't listen. But you look at this, and it's just, it's truly heartbreaking what comes about from her trying to take matters into her own hands and thinking that she knew better. So I, you know, I look at those things, and I see them, and I can acknowledge that I am a flawed, flawed woman. That probably more times than not, I don't choose faithfulness in my everyday life. Now, I say over my complete span of my walk with God, I do believe that I am faithful to him. I'm not going anywhere. Like, this is the life that I've chosen, and no matter what God says, I might be like Sarah at times and grit my teeth and kick and scream and... And I think as I've grown and I've matured in my relationship with God, I've learned a lot more to be like, I'm like, I'm put up a play file, you're right, I'm not gonna, I'm too tired to even argue, you know what's best. But I remember 
especially back in the day, digging my heels into the ground and being like, my way's best. No, it's got to be done this way. It's got to be done the way that I, because, you know, me and my infinite wisdom and my so many years on this earth know better than you do, you know? And so I look at those things, and it, it is easy to get discouraged. Like, even looking at those, I'm like, I don't want you guys to look and be like, oh, it's all, it's all horrible. Because they're, honestly, they're all, you look at Sarah, and she, like I said, she did some super boneheaded things. And she did some things that sometimes I look at, and I'm like, man, that was, that was just downright rebellious and everything else, but yet she's still named as a faithful woman of God. And so I find that to be encouraging to us, that if we continue to fight and we continue to battle and we continue to, to, ba- to bounce back, there are some things that we can do that really can help us grow in our faith and to, to live a life and a, leave a legacy of faithfulness. And the very first thing is, I can accept that it's not always going to go my way. And to go along with that, it also means it's not always going to be easy, and it's not always going to happen the way I think it should. So our youth group got the shirts. Um, it'd be like that sometimes. I have two teenagers. I have a 17-year-old daughter. Literally everything we say to each other. Like, yeah. And I'm like, it's funny, because I'm from, like, the old, I'm older. Like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Like, that's the way things happen. But for, and I want to be clear, there are definitely things in our lives that we 100% need to address. Um, I'm saying before, there are things in my life that I look at that I would say like impede my faithfulness that really cause me to struggle. And one of them is my relationship with my dad. To grow up in a, in a, in a family and to think things are one way. And then to have him leave and start a new family. And I look sometimes, I'm like, no, you should be a grandpa to my kids right now. You should be my daddy. You should be helping me do these things. And things shouldn't be this way, and it's not supposed to be this way. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I have to take those times where I grieve those things, and I acknowledge them. And I 100% believe that we need to step up and say, this is what happened, and it wasn't supposed to be this way. This isn't the way God intended it. This is a true hurt in my life. This is something that deeply, deeply wounded me, and I want so badly to be different. And we need to acknowledge those things, and we need to deal with them, and we need to grieve them. And something that I'm really been, it's like been my theme of last year, like I said, working on teenagers, teaching them, grieve a loss of an expectation. It took me like 30 years to learn that I need to grieve the loss, an expectation. That maybe the thing I'm the most upset about is that this was my expectation, and it didn't happen, And I can't understand why I'm angry, and I can't understand why I'm doing the things I'm doing until I finally got a grasp on that. Obviously, not like perfected it, but I'm getting a grasp on it. But getting to that point where I'm like, you know what? Sometimes that's just the way it's going to be. And is it fair? No. Like I said, like I have a sister who struggles with infertility, I have very close friends. And I'm not going to lie, I have those moments where I sit down with God, and I'm mad, and I'm angry, and I cry, and I'm like, that's not fair, and it's not right, and please change it. And sometimes God says no. In my life, there are things that I've sat down, and I've been like, God, it shouldn't be this way. Like, I was a good daughter, and then I did the right thing, and then I committed my life to you, and I've given you everything. Like, why? Why do I have to feel that rejection? 
There are people that I've poured my heart out to and I've loved and I've cared for and I've prayed and I've fasted and they've said, no, I don't want that. And it's really hard, but sometimes I have to come to this place where I accept that things are not always gonna be the way that they should be. But that doesn't mean that God's not faithful. It doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have my best interest heart. It doesn't even mean that God's not working behind the scenes to make what I want happen, happen. It's just not happening the way I want it to happen. If I'm gonna sit up here and I'm gonna write it out and I'm gonna draw it out, yeah, this is, and then this happens, and then I'm, I like math. You know why I like math? Because no matter where you go, two plus two always equals four. And I hated when I'd go to a class, and with one teacher, I was a great writer, and she thought all my ideas were awesome. And then I went to another class, and she was like, you're a so-so writer, but your ideas are very flawed. But when I went to math, a derivative was a derivative. And it didn't matter what anybody said, that's the way it was. And you know why I like that? Because I want things to be the way they're supposed to be. You know, and I have other people in my family, oh, we'll argue politics all day long and we'll do this and we'll do that. But I'm like, no, 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 it needs to be this cold, hard facts. It needs to be, you know, and, and the reason I do that is because I want everything to be safe and secure and the right and the way it is. And it's not fair is probably the thing that runs through my head the most throughout the day. But God never promised me things were going to be fair. He didn't say, Hannah, commit your life over to me, surrender yourself, pick up your cross, and everything will be fair from here on out. That's what I understood it to be when I became a Christian. <laughs> but, he, but he's like, no, it's not. The people who you think should be the, the best parents and should get pregnant right away, well, that's not always the way it's going to work. And I told this story about my sister. Man, I've watched my sister struggle and struggle and struggle with miscarriages, with infertility. I have watched the shots and the infertility medicine just drive her crazy. And I've watched women take their temperature every single day and pee on the ovulation sticks and have the tears when that period comes. And there's no baby. And I've watched my sister go through that. And man, it's really hard, especially when you're somebody who does get pregnant really easily, to have your little sister go through that. But when I asked her in that teen class, I'm like, why? Why do you think that God put this... And she's like, because I needed to feel empathy. She was literally, and I'm not joking when I say this, you know how like you see little kids and sometimes you're like, are those kids evil? Are they? I don't know if I believe in demon possess, like some kids just being born evil, but there were, I mean, I told a story about when at four years old, I was babysitting her, because back in the day you could leave an 11-year-old and a four-year-old together. And I was actually really mature. Um, I think it was in middle school even at 11. And my sister went and cut all her hair off. And like I said before, man, you could not have found a better, more well-behaved child than I was. I was telling them, I think I got spanked once growing up because it took one time. And I was like, we'll never, ever disobey you again. My sister got regularly sent over to family members' house to spend the night because she was a handful. But my, it was about seven hours of my parents in the bathroom with her trying to trick her, trying to like, you know, whatever. And my dad finally came out and he's like, Hannah, I know you didn't do this because you basically would never do this, but man, I believe her because she's such a good liar. <laughs> she's so good. Like she, every time we try to trip her up, she's got an answer and she knows what to do and she's crying and, you know, whatever. And then I think 11 o'clock that night she came out and she's like, I did it. Like, and I was like, the way you are. 
And that was just her as a very little kid. And then she went through the years of hardcore drug abuse. She went through the years of experimenting sexually in, in any way, shape, or form. She went through years of so massive rebellion against God that I literally would cry myself to sleep every night praying for her. I would pray that she would go to jail. I would pray that something horrible would happen to her that would wake her up. Wake her up. She would like come to my house and pretend like she wanted to see me, and then she'd steal like my ID and all my stuff. She like stole checks from my mom. She um, she had a friend that like won like ten thousand dollars or something like on a radio contest thing, and she basically convinced that girl to go and blow all that money like one or two nights on like cocaine. And she and she was like, I found out that I'd like slept with this my best friend's boyfriend like one time when I was so high, and I ruined that friendship and everything else. And I'm not kidding when I say, guys, she was the most selfish, mean, horrible person growing up. And now I look at her, and there's probably not a single person, if she knows you, if you struggle with infertility, you struggle with, she has diabetes, she has PCOS, she's got a lot of health issues. You struggle with anything like that. I promise you, she's at your house. She's got a gift basket. She's got a, a gift certificate to your favorite restaurant. She's going to call court. She call and check up on you probably every day. Of a, she, she probably has Courtney's period. Like, <laughs> on her, I mean, it really does. She'll send me a call and be like, Courtney's supposed to start in two days. Let's go. Let's fast. Let's pray. Don't you forget to call her. And she'll say that, she'll be like, I needed to go through all of that because God knew that I needed to be broken and I needed to be empathetic and I needed to hurt and somebody and everybody who's going through this needed, they needed that, they needed someone who was gonna be like, no, you don't get to just say you're okay, no, you're not okay, I'm coming over and I'm gonna sit with you and I'm gonna cry with you. And there's literally no one else in the world that I would want by my side when I was going through a hard time. And this is coming from someone who what, was horrible, the most selfish person ever. And then when I asked her that, I'm like, why, why do you think? And she was like, God needed to tell me no. Now, she is pregnant right now. And you know, it is scary because she does have a lot of health issues and her firstborn was, first one was born preemie and everything. But the rejoicing after four years of, of trying and praying and crying and everything else, man, that's sweet. And it really is a testimony to how, tr how faithful God is. But it doesn't always happen the way we want it to. If Sarah were to be told, come up and told at 19, 20, primate, you know, she's very fertile and whatever, and God's like, I'm going to make you parents of a great nation. And then she's like, cool. And she goes off and she has sex and she's like, pregnant. We're all like, that's, that's how it works. Good for you. But when we sit there, and it's one of the most phenomenal stories in the Bible that a 90-year-old woman, that the Bible comes right out and says she laughs because she's like, don't he know I'm worn out and I'm old and I, that stuff ain't working that way anymore? And, and then she becomes pregnant. and become, That is God's story. There's nobody else you can point to for that. And it's, and it's poetic and it's beautiful. And sometimes we have to look at things and be like, not to be like hokey pokey, but where's the poetry in, the, in my story? If everything happened exactly the way I wanted to, exactly when I say it should happen, we're all spoiled brats, right? We have no need for God. We have no need for grace. That's not faith. 
if I always get, if I, I have children, I give them whatever they want as soon as they want it, and they never have to work for anything, and everything's always peachy green in their life, oh my gosh, they would be monsters. Like, it would be horrible. But instead, sometimes I just need to accept that things are not always gonna be easy, they're always gonna go my way, and it's, I would, okay, if you're married, or you have a family, or whatever else, how many of you guys would say it all happened exactly the way I dreamt of it at 10 years old? when I wrote it out in my diary. <laughs> and I was told the girls, I'm like, the funny thing is, is I was going to go, I was going to be a dentist. I was going to be an independent woman who didn't need a man. I never once single had ever cried over a boy in my entire life. I didn't want him. I didn't need him. And then at 17, God's like, here you go, sucker. Make it work. And I look at it and I'm like, how did, how did I end up here? Like, and I, but God knew what I needed. It wasn't my plan. Carrie wasn't my plan. You can ask me. I pushed him away. I was like, bro, no, no. One, you're like five foot six and 120 pounds. Lay date six foot seven and 250 over. And that was, I'm not joking. That was legit my thing. I was like, no, 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 no. Then I went to a cross chat and I heard him talk and then I was like, oh, like. <laughs> but it still was like very difficult for me to accept that that was going to be my life. And that things weren't going to be. Because my idea of success and my idea of things working out the way fulfillment, if you would have told me then that it was going to be working in campus ministry, if you would have told me it would be talking in front of people, if you would have told me that it would be, I would find my greatest joy in going up to perfect strangers and like trying to find a way to like connect with them and become friends with them and try to share my faith, laughing would not have been what I would have done. I would have, I don't know what I would have done, but I'm like, you're crazy. Because it's not at all how I envisioned and pictured my life, but it also means that it hasn't been perfect, and there's been a lot of bumps in the road, and things haven't always went the way that I wanted them to. And so the second thing that I can do is I can just trust God's rules, his word, and his promises. And uh, one thing I want to do, and I know that this is going to be like super fast, so and try to write them down as fast as you can, but I just, like I said, I went through and I just looked at some of the verses of God's promises, and I'm going to read through them like super, super fast because we don't have like a super long time, but Isaiah 40, 29 says, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run, not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James 4.7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Psalms 18, 3, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your understanding, and all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Guys, there's something in there for every single one of us. 
There's a, maybe you're like, I have a hard time being faithful because I feel like I'm always being tempted and I feel like there's always something there that's dragging me away. The Bible says, flee from temptation, run away, resist temptation, and Satan will flee from you. It's in there, and I know it's hard to believe. You look at some of these things, and some of the biggest things with me is do not be anxious. God tells me, don't be anxious. It's not funny. It's not a joke. It's not like, ha, like, God tells me, don't be anxious, don't be fearful, don't be worrisome. Trust me, I have a peace that passes all understanding. Now, does that what our society tells us? Absolutely not. Oh, you're all anxious, you're all worried. One of my favorite things that my daughter says to me is, my high, being in high school right now, in my generation, they push and push and push that we all have disorders. We all have anxiety. We all have this disorder. We all have anxiety. She was like, you know what? No, we all have teenager problems. You have, oh, you have that problem. Guess what? I also have that problem because we are teenagers and we're all like, we all have this. We all are taking, you don't have anxiety. It's finals week. You didn't study. You're not as smart as me. Like, you know, like, it's, it's one of those things where she's like, man, if I could just get some of these girls that are constantly going back, back into the world, or they're constantly going back into, like, oh, I gotta be all, I gotta be all doped up, or I gotta be in like this. And she's like, if I could just get them to grasp that, honestly, they're really not that much different than what we're all going through right now. And it's hard, but God's gonna take care of us. And it's not the end of the world if this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen, or if you feel a little, you know, like, guess what? Everybody feels a little when they go into like a busy place or whatever. And I'm not saying that some of us don't react differently than others. I think we do, but I am telling you as someone who straight up would have had a panic. And you wanna talk about, I'm not even joking, guys. I can't even... They tried to video record me one time, and I literally was in the bathroom shaking, like, like I'm humiliated. I think back on that situation, and I want to vomit. I'm so embarrassed by the way I acted. But it was 100% real to me at that time until my husband grabbed me by the arm and was like, get a grip, trust God, be secure, do what he says, and let him prove to you that he's got you. And I look back on it now, and I laugh. I laugh at that person in shame and very much so disgusted her because I'm like, what was wrong with you? Why? But you know what? It's because I didn't trust God. There was verse after verse after verse in here. Trust God. God will, God will meet your needs. There are a ton of you guys in here that God's not going to meet my needs. God's not going to meet my needs. There are probably some of you who are freaking about how to, how, how am I going to pay for this? Or how am I going to take care of it? Like, I can't take off work. I can't go do this. I have to make this a priority. And time after time after time, I am telling you, if you are faithful to God, he will take care of you. Well, something I tell all my girls is none of you are going homeless. There's always a couch for you to sleep on. There's always going to be food in my pantry for you. Everybody here is going to take care of you. I have been around forever. My parents completely cut me off at 17 years old. And when I mean they cut me off, I mean they came into my dorm room. They took my tampons. They took my brush. They took my shampoo, all my clothes, and said, fine, you want to do this? Do it yourself. And you know what? God's family helped get me back on my feet. And, he, and honestly, I learned a heck of a lot from that because I was a spoiled little rich girl and I learned how to work hard and I learned how to do things that I never thought I could do. But I mostly learned that God, God's got my back, that God's going to take care of me. And we are so consumed with worry and panic and what's going to happen and, and this and that. But sometimes we just need to go back 
and understand that I can trust what God says. I look at the people who I respect the most, who are faithful and whose lives have turned out the way that I would love my life to turn out, and they will, t- and again and again, they will tell you this. You have to trust what God has to say. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't think that you know better. Don't think that Joe Blow Schmo down the street knows better because he probably doesn't. And I'm not, I'm real, there are counselors that you need to go to that are good, godly women or men that will tell you the right thing to do. But I am telling you, my husband was in a counseling um, department at a college and I, they, you guys, I would not listen to about anything those people say. Their lives are so messed up. And just because these people get a slip of paper because they completed some classes, I don't care. If it's not what God's word has to say and it's not grounded in God's truth, then you shouldn't follow it because it's not going to benefit your life. And I'm telling you this as someone who went through therapy and count my parents, oh my gosh, my parents were like, you guys are struggling with this. Take this, take this, go here, go here. And you know what? It never helped any of us any of my brothers on so much medication and he's the most OCD unfriendly no relationships in his life and then I'm like sitting there talking to my sister-in-law she's like man you and your brother are so much alike and you're like budgets that are color-coded and all these other she was like and my brother's like we are a lot alike and like yeah Ryan but I fight I fight this to make this control my life and I let God control it and you let this control your life and I'm not saying that in a self-righteous way because it's a battle and a fight every day but, but God is powerful, and he promises. So, t- so, t- so take him for his word and obey and listen. But then also, on the other hand, when God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, we also have to trust that he knows what he's talking about with that. I feel like it's really easy when I talk to the teenagers because I'm like, don't date that guy, don't do that, don't talk back to your parents. You're like, you know, and I'm like, it's very easy. But for us, sometimes we're like, oh, okay. But there's a lot of times when we know God says, don't do that. And we do it anyway. And then I'm not trusting that God knows better than I do. Um, One of the biggest things that I think has helped me in the past year, I don't even remember where I read it at or where I got it from, but I was, like I said, I've been reading a lot about it's it's not right, it's not fair, like trying to really get a grasp on that because I have a 17-year-old daughter, and oh my gosh, everything should go exactly the way that she says it should. And I'm like, no, that isn't, no. I, I want you to get that out of your head now, because you're going to lifelong disappointment if you think that A plus B always equals C. <laughs> and so we're like reading a book together, Lisa Turkish, I don't know how to say her name, like it's not supposed to be that way. It's really, really good. It really points me to a lot of things, but something I read that really woke me up was Instead of me asking, why me, um, I can ask myself when something happens, what can I learn, grow from, or how can I use this to help others? It really has transformed my way of thinking. Like I said, even last night when I'm like, why me? Why am I up till 3 a.m. dealing with this? Why this situation? Why blah, blah, blah? And it really did help to take a step back and be like, all right, God, what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to stretch me? How am I trying, what are you trying to help me grow? Who else maybe needs, needs encouragement and they can learn from me going through this experience? 
One of the hardest things to do is to help people if your life is 100% perfect, right? I've asked this question, I did a laser treat lesson at our church last year and I was like, so how many of you guys look at someone whose life is always perfect, always things go their way, they never have any problem, and you're like, that's who I wanna go to. You know, like no, the people we look at is like, that girl, she battled. That girl hasn't always had things her way. That girl's had to fight and whatever else. That, I admire her, I want her in my corner. You know, and to look at that, and it really does help if we look at things and we're like, one of the ways I can remain faithful and not lose, not lose my hope in God when bad things come my way is being like, maybe God's not doing this to hurt me. He's not, but thinking that. Like, or allowing this to happen because of this or that, but maybe God's trying to help me. I was literally told a story, and I haven't gotten permission, so I'm not going to use any names, but I was told a story this weekend about a, a girl that I really, a woman I really care about that has been really struggling with having a baby. Struggling, 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 struggling. Had a couple miscarriages. Do, doesn't make sense. Like, why can't I get pregnant? She has two older kids. And then she went to a doctor and she found out that her C-section had been sewn up incorrectly. And you know how you have to like sew up uterine wall, sew up another one, sew up another one. There was like almost no lining to her uterus. And the doctor's like, you would have got pregnant. You would have both died. You both would have hemorrhaged and died. And then she's like stepping away from that. And she's like, oh my gosh. Like literally he was saving my life by not allowing, and there were other extenuating circumstances. I think she stepped back and was like, maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe I can work on this. Maybe I have to focus something else on this. And it was funny because once she kind of had gotten that in her head that like maybe God's trying to use me, maybe God's trying to teach me something else. She goes to the doctor and he's like, we, we gotta fix this. Because this is no bueno if, if, you know, you were to get pregnant. And I wonder how many times in our life God's like, I'm saying no to save your life. And we, we just can't see it. It's really, really hard for us to be like, okay, you know. But, but asking myself through it, instead of sitting there and throwing a pity party, instead of being angry, walking away from God, instead of just sitting back and doing nothing and being like, till you do something for me, I ain't doing nothing for you. Be like, okay, God, what do you need from me? How can you use me? Like I, I said about Courtney earlier, it's been phenomenal this year. Be like, God's not giving me what I want right now. He didn't. It's not been easy. I'm going to pour everything I have into this campus ministry. I'm going to love and love and love. And there are probably a handful of you girls here that 100% would not be here if you, you would say if she hadn't been able to give me what I needed at the time. And probably it was a lot. And honestly, she probably wouldn't have been able to give it to you if she would have had a newborn baby at home. I'm just going to be real with you. When you get a newborn baby at home, you're stretched really thin. Do I think she's still going to do the right thing? Absolutely. I think she's still going to give her heart. But some of you guys needed a lot from her at that time that she may not. And I know she wouldn't trade that. She wouldn't trade you guys being here and your lives being changed and seeing your relationship with God and everything else for her to get what she wanted when she wanted it. Um... And the third thing I can do is I can accept God's grace when I mess up. I can repent, and I can always keep fighting. You know, although she wasn't perfect and she had her moments of anger, she mistreated people, there was heartache, she kept going on. I couldn't imagine half of the time waiting, 45 years of being told no. I probably would have been like, give me what I want or I'm out but 90 years of, of it and still hanging in there. And I know some of you guys are hanging on by a thread. I know you are. Keep hanging on. Because, like I said, 
talk to teenagers all day, every day, because they're always at my house. And one of the biggest things I keep telling them is, you gotta hang on, hold on, because it's gonna get better. You can't see it right now, but if you keep doing what God says, you're gonna come out on the other side. Some of you guys, I know, you're like, I don't think I can hold on any longer. I beg you, I plead you, hold on. Keep fighting. Keep searching God's word for promises. Don't give up. Don't look to take matters into your own hands, but trust that God's got you. Some of you guys that are like, I'm faithful. I ain't going nowhere. You know you'll see me every year, but you're not really stepping out in faith. You're not really doing what God asks you to do. You're letting that worry and that fear and that unknown or the control or the comfortable, whatever it might be, you're letting that hold you back from truly being a woman of faith and to pass on a legacy behind you. Some of you guys, you are fighting and you are being faithful and you're doing what you need to do and you're really striving to listen and do what God says, but beware because you know Satan is powerful and you know that he's conniving and you know he's going to want to knock you down. So keep, keep planting your faith, keep planting your roots in, keep growing, keep staying closer, keep developing the relationships. Don't ever get to that point because I know I've been there before and I'm like, I'm good because then Satan's going to come in and just knock your feet out from underneath you. But also remember that no matter what you've done or where you've been, maybe you're here this weekend and you're like, I've done nothing. I haven't been what I needed to be. I haven't done this or I've had this involved in my life or whatever else. That you can repent. You can change. And from this point out, you really can be that faithful woman. Of anything, I read that and I'm like, man, that's really encouraging to me because I really do beat the crap out of myself when I mess up. And I look around a lot, and I really do believe Satan's lies. And he said, who's going to want to listen to you? Who's going to want to follow you? All the time. All the time Satan's like, you know what? Everybody's probably getting really sick and tired of you. You're kind of annoying. You're really not that cool. You should probably back off now and put up walls and just stop things before people reject you or they find out whatever. And I have to, like, every single day be like, that's bullcrap. Like, I am annoying. You're right. And I, they probably do get bothered by me. But, like, we allow each other that grace and that mercy, and we love each other, and the people here love me, and I love them, and we want what's best for them. And then just kind of, like, you know, lastly to finish up, um, sometimes we can be so focused on that promise that I'm not getting that we forget the blessings and the way that God's paving, paving for us. And um, I was saying, telling them, Hunger Games is my favorite book series. I'm a huge reader. My daughter's a huge reader, and, we re and I've read them all. And I was telling them, I'll fight you if you try to say that it's not the best book series, because I love it. And I think... I go back to this all the time. I tell my kids to do this. Um, and even if you don't read the book series or anything else, you probably won't understand it. But anyway, you can go and read like the last, very last few pages of the book. And this is, and most of you guys have probably even seen the movies. So Katniss, you know, she suffered imaginable loss. Her sister, her, oh, I hope it didn't, no, it's been out long enough. Okay, her sister, people that are really close to her, she's fought wars. She's been used. She's, um, at the end, she's playing with her, with her children. And she's, she's, they're playing on a field that they have no idea is grown up over the bones and the decay of her town that was bombed during this war. And she says, whenever the sorrow and everything else starts to overwhelm me, I like to play a little game where I sit back and I name all of the good things. And it, I don't know why, for some reason, as soon as I read it, I just bawled uncontrollably. It was the end of the series. 
But that's something I probably read, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe? But that's something that's always stuck with me. When I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like everything and I'm crying or whatever, I'm like your screw up or whatever, I go back to that naming off the things that God's blessed me with. Naming off the way that God's used me even though I probably didn't deserve it. Using, you know, naming off these things. So I, I'm going to leave you guys with the challenge that I left them. I don't care if you didn't take a single note. I don't care if anything else. What I would really encourage you guys to do in your booklet or in your phone or whatever is to get it out and it's just to name off the ways that God has blessed you. And I mean specific. Okay, so I did this with my daughter the other day. She's crying. High school's hard. Life is this. And I'm like, name off three things that are good in your life. And she was like, I have a good church and I have a good family. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you for getting, it's like, it's a wheel of fortune. Okay, we did the RSTVs. Okay, you got those out of the way. Now, what, and I said, no, specifically. We're very intense people. So I'm like, I'm like specifically, name specifically. Name the good things. Like, I want names. I want the people in your life. I want the things you've been blessed with and, you know, whatever else. And, um, and I do think it's really good for us to do it because a lot of times we forget those things and that ingratitude allows us to be unfaithful. And it, and it, and it blinds, I mean, we get blinded so easily by our screw-ups or our mess-ups. But even in your list, not just name off the people God's blessed you with. Name off the people that's lives are different because you decided to make a decision to do the right thing. You know, name off the, you know, maybe the, I got a job that honestly I wasn't qualified for, but it takes care of me. Like I have friends that literally say that. I don't know how I got this job. I'm totally not qualified. But yeah, here I am. And I'm making, you know, and I'm taking care of stuff. You know what? I mean, it could be something as simple as there are times when I have to be like, I have a roof. I got to a point where I was like, you have a roof over your head. Your belly is never empty. You have, that's my son. <laughs> you have, and then I like even name their names. I'm like, oh my gosh, most people can't say they have three or four good friends. I literally have 50 people I could call at the drop of a hat that I know would be there for me and love me and, you know, whatever else. And when you sit there and you look at those things, you know, even, even specifically, like I'm an outgoing personality or I'm, I'm sensitive and I'm tender and I care. Like, guys, write those things down. See the things. Look at the way. How's God blessed me? God allowed me to go to SIUE. He gave me a full ride, even though I only got a 26 on my ACT. I'm dealing with a, a daughter who got a 34, and I'm still like, now he wants to FaceTime me. Um, and I'm still bad. I'm like, you're going to give a full ride to a 34? And I look back, I'm like, how the heck did I get a full ride to a college? Like, you know, but I'm like, because God wanted me there. Because I had other options, and there were other places I wanted to go, and I almost played softball somewhere else. And then SOE is like, you want to come here for free? And we mean for free, for free. And I won the scholarship I shouldn't have, and I got all this. I didn't have to work or whatever. And then my very first day on campus, who do I run into? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's why. I didn't deserve that. Like, I did work hard and whatever else. But I didn't deserve that. And I didn't deserve, I haven't deserved a lot of the things God's given me. And honestly, there's a lot of you here, too, that you probably could look back if you were really honest and be like, I don't deserve that grace. I don't deserve that person still loving me. I don't deserve this or that. But we have to learn to forgive ourselves, let go of some of that stuff, forgive some of the people in this room, show each other grace, realize you're on the same team. Don't let those things impede you from having a faithful, strong relationship with God. Um, I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to have this time together. Oh, I know I probably 
um, rambled. <laughs> and, um, but I do know that I'm forever grateful for what you've given me. I know I don't deserve the, um, I know I don't deserve a relationship with you. I know I don't deserve the family I have. I don't deserve the friendships and the church and the purpose and just the weird sense of security <laughs> that I feel like I have, even though I feel like it's kind of undeserving. But I know it's because of you. And I know that every single woman in here you want to use, you want to raise them up, you want to you want to give them the desires of their heart, even if it doesn't look the way we think that it should, God. And I just pray that we will we'll understand that you know better and we'll accept it and we'll continue to praise you in the good times and the bad and that we'll be there for each other when the answer is no. And uh, I pray that you make everything fair. No, I'm just kidding. Um, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I do pray. <laughs>